And Marn, as far as you can tell, everything is recording correctly. As far as I can yeah, tell, these headphones. Ah. I I maybe should drag Pete over one more time just to have a look. See, Corey, Pete, how do these work? Good morning and welcome to Did You Do Your Homework, the podcast connecting academic ideas to popular culture. I am your weekend librarian and young adult literary enthusiast, Martha Sullivan, and I am not joined by Pete this week because this is a No Boys Allowed episode. Instead... I am joined by two wonderful returning guests who would perhaps like to introduce themselves. <laughs> Hi, I'm Maren Higman. I'm a youth services librarian, um, and I am excited to hopefully talk a lot about Buffy, which is what I assume is going to happen here, given our topic. Solid, uh, solid prediction. Hi, I'm Michelle Patton Bruig. I've been on the podcast one time before. I'm a special education teacher for elementary school students in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. We are very excited to have you back, Michelle. Excited as, to be back. As Marin alluded to earlier, we are going to be discussing Mary Sue's today. Uh, what that means, what they are, are they anything, do they matter? Uh, and, frankly, what it tells us about people who uh, label characters as such. But first, before we get into that and into our feelings, we are going to talk about uh, the media or pop culture that has been stuck in our heads this week. What we have not been able to stop thinking about, what has been dominating our thoughts, our conversation, whatever. Maren, what's stuck in your head this week? Uh, stuck in my head this week has, uh, been the musical Hades Town, um, which came out on Broadway, I want to say last year, um, but it is an Orpheus and Eurydice myth retake set in a Great Depression meets post-apocalypse world, um, yeah, so that has been... That has been on my Spotify this week. That sounds like entirely my jam. You really should look it up. Hades Town. I feel, yeah, I feel like I heard the title somewhere before, but I haven't actually, like, had a chance to look into it. Um, how's the score for it? It's good. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. Um, I initially got into it because... Um, the woman who directed the original production of Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812 was involved, um, which is how I heard about it. Um, and I read, you know, this long interview with her, I think on Slate last week, um, talking about it. And so I started listening to it. Um, can I actually, though, now I'm realizing I've actually been very split between that and the Lonely Island's new album. Brash Brothers, which is very like as different as you can be. I think I've been like using Hades Town as a downer, and then Bash Brothers as an upper. Like that has been my pop culture world this week. Which now that I say it out loud, sounds really weird. Um, if so, they, that's the one where they have the visual album on Netflix, right? Yeah, yeah. That is, I haven't seen the full part of that, but there's one, in, there's like one song that they have this visual music video album to. I think it's near the beginning. It's like the silk robes and kimonos. <gasps> yes. It's Oakland Nights. I'm not going to ruin anything <laughs> about it. If you do nothing else, just watch that part through the chorus and just love life. <laughs> Oh, so that that cameo came as like a we're not even ca that that oh. individual who comes on the screen totally threw me off and it's so good. I loved every second of it. It's so good. Yeah. So that is Marin's weird stuck in her head this week. Quite an amalgamation. Wonderful, Michelle. How about you? I've been watching um, 
dead to me on Netflix. I feel like whenever I come on here, I'm like, here's the newest show that Netflix has gotten me. To no, just but me watch. too. Dead to me got me through a plane ride recently. Well, that would be great to watch on a plane, actually. Those little, those mm, half-hour comedies, man. That is where it's at. Yeah, it's um, it's Christina Applegate and Linda Cardinelli, and they're in a death support group, and then that's where they meet. And then various shenanigans ensue. James Marsden is in it, and I love him so much. <laughs> I but, was really pleased. Oh. I was really pleased that James Marsden finally got to play a role where somebody wasn't stealing his girl. Because <laughs> I feel like I feel like that's the archetype that he always plays. I guess right? and the notebook and um, Enchanted, <laughs> and he finally gets to be the guy who is just the guy. It's like the one mm-hmm. reason I still like deeply love 27 dresses is just the satisfaction of James Marston gets the girl. Darn it. Like, yeah. But yeah, I'm only like three episodes into dead to me, but I'm enjoying it very much. I'm excited to see Christina Applegate working. I also like that. It's what's well, a dark comedy. So they could like, they kind of go there with some things, but I, I love the, like just the sarcasm in it and just the like, well, this all sucks. My husband is dead. I'm angry at the world. I think it's a much more like realistic portrayal mm-hmm. of going through a major loss like that. And it's just, I think it's refreshing to see that on, on a TV show where that's kind of like the focus. I agree. I also am super into media that talks about like, female rage in a non-condescending way and I just really appreciate that like it is understandable and acceptable that these women are angry and the show doesn't like talk down to them at all for that and there's a lot of female rage so much yeah female rage and female grief and neither of them are treated as like characteristics of weakness um yep that's what i've been watching i think i have three more episodes left and i just i want more i hope i hope it gets a season renewal i netflix is so opaque in terms of like what they decide to renew and like what is popular and i I feel like i never have a handle on that but i would watch more of that show uh, stuck in my head this week, I saw Detective Pikachu on opening weekend, and this was a movie that they did not have to make good, but they did. Um, I have been, I have been playing these games for literal 20 years at this point. So like, I'm a complete sucker for any, like all of the new generation games. I'm still one of the handful of people playing Pokemon Go like I'm I'm in it on Pokemon and I really legitimately enjoyed Detective Pikachu um both because it was super fun to see the way that they realized the Pokemon like in a more real world context and also because like I said they they didn't have to go so hard and they did um, and I just really appreciate that. The actors are all charming. The Pokemon are wonderful. I enjoyed Ryan Reynolds a surprising amount. Um, yeah, it was it was a delightful movie-going experience. Well, I'm glad to hear that, because I feel like I saw the trailer and I was like, there will be no middle ground here. Either this will be wonderful or this will be terrible. I and I was I was wholly prepared for it to be like, well, that sucked, but I really enjoyed watching those Bulbasaurs on screen. And I was ready to, like, the credits rolled, and I was like, can I watch it again? Like, can I watch it again right now? <laughs> I was going to um, say, and it goes along with what you guys um, were just talking about, but it's kind of, you kind of have to temper, I think, your expectations with that movie. That's not one that it would be awesome if it is something that you could really like analyze and you're like, actually that was like a really good story. There was a surprising amount of character depth, but I just feel like that's a movie you go to just to be like, I want to see Pokemon on screen. I enjoy Pokemon. I'm going to be entertained. And I think if you go into it with that lens, 
It's great. We should start calling those the gladiator movies. Are you not entertained? (laughs) I agree. And it was all of those things. But like I said, I was also pleasantly surprised. It, It is at its core a movie about a father son dynamic, which is something that I'm a sucker for, but also I found to be sort of a genuinely touching story. So I guess your mileage may vary on how much you enjoyed the story. I definitely did. Um, and also, you know, Bulbasaur's. So it's got something for everyone. I haven't gotten a chance to see it quite yet, but it's on my, it's on my radar. That's kind of the, I am one of those people that'll go in and be like, what are people seeing about this? What should I kind of be expecting? And I've heard that people are like, oh, it's a kid's movie. I'm like, well, yeah, it's Pokemon. It's, I mean, it's a kid's movie, but it's also kind of scary. Like, Mm. there are, I don't know that I would take a kid younger than, like, eight. Oh, interesting. interesting. I don't know, it gets... Six and seven-year-olds, and they would would love Pokemon. But now that I'm thinking about it, I haven't heard of anybody, like, seen it. Yeah. Yeah, I guess, yeah, none of my kiddos at the library, and I feel like I do usually hear, like, Miss Martin, we saw this, it was great! Um, And I guess I I kind of, I kind of wonder if the audience for this movie is not actually kids, but me. Like, those of us, those, us millennials who, like, have been playing the games for a hundred years, like, I wonder if this is... Because the, it, I wonder if it's like the Sonic movie, where like that's not a movie for kids; it's a movie for adult fans of Sonic, um, right? <laughs> so we are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to dive into the subject of the Mary Sue. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Our topic for today is the Mary Sue. Um, We are going to touch on what this means, the concept of the Mary Sue, where it came from, what it means, what it tells us about a character, whether it is a useful descriptor, uh, and how the term has kind of degenerated uh, in recent pop culture history. Um, I'd also like to talk about some characters that have been uh, painted with this label, um, whether we think that's warranted um, and what that might actually be saying about the pop culture environment that these characters were generated in. Uh, But the very first thing I would like to ask you both, what is a Mary Sue as you understand it? Sure. So I think there are kind of two related but separate thrusts of the term Mary Sue. I think on one hand, and this I think is used more broadly, um, it's the idea of a female character who is, quote, perfect, unquote. So who does not seem to have flaws. I think the other idea behind a Mary Sue, and this is much more related to fan fiction, um, and probably it comes at no surprise, reveals the amount of fan fiction I've read in my life, Um, but the second thrust of the idea of a Mary Sue is that it's an author insert or author wish fulfillment. Um, So I think you have those kind of two related components, is what people mean. When I think, I agree um, with all that Marin says, but when I think like the Mary Sue trope or the Mary Sue-esque character, maybe it's just the like amount of cynicism that I sometimes have from like my AP lit days or being an English major for all of two semesters in college. But I tend <laughs> to think of... Um, 
Mary Sue as being a character that it, you're, as the reader, supposed to just love and be like, oh, you know, they're just the best. They're they're the kindest person. They're the just they approach life with such a great way. But you kind of end up being a little bit angry at the character or being like, man, they suck. They're the worst because they are so positive, so great. Nothing bad ever happens to them. They always win in the end. And it kind of almost isolates the reader because that is just, that's never how life works. And when I think of like a Mary Sue-esque character, I right away go to not the characters that I like, but the characters that I'm supposed to like. But I sit there and go, man, I just cannot stand X character because they're just so perfect. And who's ever actually perfect in the world? And maybe that says a little bit about me when it comes to works of fiction that I read, but that's what jumped out in neon letters in my brain. So Marin, I'm really glad that you brought up the topic of fan fiction because that is where the Mary Sue began her rich and varied life. Uh, like many things in fandom culture, the first usage of that term can be traced back to Star Trek fanfic. Um, it used to be very exclusively a term used or that got applied to those author insert fic. So female characters in general um, that were better at everything else than canon characters frequently were love interests to the main canon characters. Um, I have also read and written a lot of fanfic in my life. Um I don't think I ever wrote anything where Harry Potter was in love with me, but that's the kind of thing that we're kind of talking about. Um, and it has, it has um, not switched, but like, I guess expanded from being a, a term solely used in the prominence of fanfic to being applied to actual canon characters. Um, one of the, th- <clears throat> One of the things that I would like to kind of touch on is how it seems to be a word that is solely applied to female characters. Um, and, you know, which I, I, I think in, when we're when we're talking about fanfic, it's because most fanfic is written by women. Um, but. What what about this this flip from applying it as a fanfic term to um carrying it over into actual canon works like do we are are those like similar enough that we think that it's a fair transfer of the word if that question makes any sense it made sense in my head no it's a good question it's just gonna take a moment of thought for me (laughs) sure so just so i can make sure that i'm going down the right path you're saying that um does the term kind of bridge the gap between fan fiction and the more the canonical works that they're based off of? Or maybe not even that they're based off of. Maybe what I'm trying to get at is so this was a this was a term that was originally applied to a, the like the original characters that fanfic writers were inserting into um, media. And it usually meant that the fanficer was putting themselves into the story. With all of those traits that we have brought up already, like has no flaws, everyone loves them. Um, you know, they, they their flaws are usually superficial. Um, and at some point in our popular culture conversation, it stopped me, it stopped being a fanfic term and started being a term that was applied to actual canon characters. So like at some point it stopped being the OC original character somebody put into a Harry Potter uh, fanfic and started meaning this character that is in the original text of a work. And now I've lost track of what I was asking about that. Well, I think what you're getting at is having Mary Sue as a term 
used for original characters in fan fiction is a very specific thing and a very specific environment in fandom culture. And when we're thinking about applying it um, to, you know, I don't want to say primary source works. That sounds weird, but... Um, Right, it kind of is, though. Like, yeah, you wouldn't even want to say original we, works. <laughs> right. Yeah, when you're applying it to primary source works, you don't... Because there are so many more layers between the audience and the work, you know, whether it's in fan fiction, they're like one comment on the review thread away. Um, I think there's not that same specificity in like using that term because i think that in fan fiction it has a very clear meaning and specificity and i think in a primary source work it's something we can only more guess at if we're meaning author insert and because of that is kind of taken on this other meaning um and and in some ways the two go together but in some they don't um and yeah, so I think it's I, I see what you're saying, Martha. I think there's a difference in how it's used between, you know, fanfiction.net and talking about a movie or a book. I yeah, I agree. I don't have as much to say about that because I'm just somebody who doesn't really dabble too much into fan fiction like I'm I'm aware that it exists and every now and again I'll like read something fan fiction-y just kind of as a light reading or like a something to pass the time but I don't really go too far in depth of it I kind of there, you know how there are some, the only one that can like jump into my mind right now is weirdly enough, 50 shades of gray Yeah, that kind of started out as maybe a bit fan fictiony about another source. And then for some reason, somebody was like, Hey, let's, uh, let's actually publish this. Oh, 50 shades that, was literally fan fiction. Yeah. That's the only example that yeah. I can come up with in my mind. Um, because I'm just so unfamiliar with it. So, like, that's where it's one of those where I could be like, oh, I can see why people would say that character X is a Mary Sue-esque type because of this. But that literally started out as fan fiction. Um, well, and that, yeah. that one's an interesting example because I almost wonder if Twilight is where that shift happened where Mary Sue, because I can't think of an earlier example of a canon character being called an, a Mary Sue than Bella from Twilight. Sure. And I wonder, I wonder if that is where the shift happened from taking that term out of the fanfic sphere. Because I also think that that's when it stopped really being a meaningful term. Because in the in the fanfiction sphere, it has a definition, like it has parameters. But as soon as you start talking about like characters in um, original work, it's like, well, this doesn't mean anything anymore. Like this just means a character that I have problems with almost. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I do wonder if Bella is like the first canon character, <laughs> I guess, to get that label. That would make sense to me. Um, yeah. Well, and it makes sense, too, that I think her name is, what, Anastasia Steele? Um, yeah. From yeah. Fifty Shades. <laughs> Why do I know that? I know that. Uh. <laughs> I know that, too. I've never read them. Uh, yeah, so I think it makes sense that, yeah, you have this kind of, I want to say... Like legacy? No, legacy is not the right word. Like this progression of that to like the Anastasia Steele type. Um, but I I remember reading more broadly. You know, I've seen think pieces come out more recently about is Ray from Star Wars a Mary Sue? Is Arya Stark from Game of Thrones a Mary Sue? So I, I think you're on to something, Martha, that there has been 
a like the term has gotten applied differently and it seems to be a little only recently um and i i kind of remember some of those think pieces going back a little bit like backtracking and some of them talked about well was beth march from little woman women a mary sue or um sarah crew from a little princess um so there seems to be kind of this like backwards reading um, of were these other characters Mary Sue's, but I I do think it's a more modern line of questioning. Well, and that's because I think that at some point it stopped meaning a very specific thing. Like it stopped meaning this character. Like right, it, it stopped being this is a flawless female character who everyone loves and has no flaws at all. And is also a reflection of like the creator's own wish fulfillment and started meaning I don't like that there's a girl in my nerd stuff. <laughs> yes. Well, and that's where I mean, so I brought up Beth March, and to me that was the funniest one because Beth March, like Little Women literally has an author insert, which is another character. Um, and yes, there could be an argument that Beth seems a little saintly um but that's not the author answer <laughs> like if we're gonna apply the term like if anything it should be applied to the author insert who is not beth um so yeah i think it's often it, it has been co-opted um so when we were discussing recording this episode both of you brought up buffy and I would like to talk about Buffy for a sec for several reasons. Uh, one, because in all of this like retroactive, who's a Mary Sue and, you know, sidebar, why do we care? But anyway, like, are these characters, does her name actually come up? Because I feel like there may be a case for her, but I don't know that I've actually heard her character in the conversation at all. Also, I was not a Buffy person. So if we're going to talk about Buffy, it's got to be coming from you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you. I think there is a case. Um, and I will lay all my cards on the table that as someone who watched Buffy, I was way more invested in the side characters than Buffy herself. Um, I was, I was in it for Giles and Willow and Xander and um not necessarily buffy <laughs> um love giles like giles is who i want to be when i grow up um but yeah i mean there is a case like buffy certainly i think hits the hits the the beats um i mean she is someone who seems to be pretty good at most things um she you know Seems to be one that every guy falls in love with. Um, but on the other hand, I I do think the show takes time to go through her flaws, especially in the early seasons. And I will also, and I think this is unusual, an unusual stance I have in the Buffy watching community. I actually really prefer the early seasons. I really love, like, seasons one and two of Buffy are my jam. Um, and I, I know fans tend to love more, like, this season six. Um, but I really love the early Buffy when it's almost like a parody of high school. Um, and I think in those early seasons, they do make a point of Buffy, like, sloughs off class and, like, doesn't necessarily get along with her mom great and, like, doesn't necessarily always treat her friends awesomely. And they they take some more time, especially in the early seasons, to, to really give her flaws. The, um, the reason I brought up Buffy as mostly because do I need an excuse to watch Buffy? No, never. It's fantastic. Um, I'm very nostalgic about it. The reason I brought it up when we were talking about... Um, this topic is because there is an episode in I want to say it's season four where it is like the episode is a deliberate satire of the Mary Sue and actually it's it's a male character that becomes 
the Mary Sue in that episode. So I think what's the term they've used? A Gary Stew. Gary Stew. <laughs> so one of the characters um, by some, and like, like of, of course I got busy this week and didn't get a chance to rewatch it like I really wanted to. So I'll probably do that later when I have more time. Um, but there's a character, one of the side characters whereby demons spell magic whatever what have you um becomes the most popular guy in school everybody loves him it's kind of a like he's kind of like a dweeby character and then all of a sudden by magic everybody like he becomes the person that everybody loves just for being him and it's a when I was doing some research, there were a lot of sources came up with this is actually like a deliberate, like an intentional written deliberate, like the Mary Sue, Gary Stu esque trope being put on where all of a sudden by whatever demon magic that happens in the episode, all these characters fall in love or are like, Oh, this guy is so cool with this one character. Now I'm like, I'm looking it up on the side <laughs> And um, the character's name is Jonathan, and it's in season four. Um, but, like, Jonathan be, kind of becomes the hero of the episode. He's the one who has to try and save Buffy. And he's the one who... Um, trying to, like, relook at it. But he's the one that all of a sudden becomes the hero of the show. And it's supposed to be kind of like a... Hey, here's a, here's an example of what this looks like. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I wonder if they deliberately made that character or they told that story using a boy as like a contrast to Buffy. I, I, I feel like that would require a level of self-awareness that I'm not sure they cared about. But that's that's interesting because, yeah, the term Gary Stew is definitely a thing. I tend to think of it as being sort of a thing that people can point to to be like see there are boys who do this too and when the reality is that it happens so much less frequently um sure right than with you characters feel like but that's an interesting with well, boys i know they there's a couple of like past examples like i've seen superman as an example of somebody being like oh this is a gary's two character and it's like but not not really <laughs> well i was gonna say i'm a I might say Batman before Superman because Superman's an alien and I don't know that that <laughs> plays by the same rules. Mm. Well, I will say, Martha, this episode came out in 2000. So I think this was like very much leaning into that specific fandom culture moment. Um, mm -hmm. I, so I, I, think it, I think it had a little more specificity when the episode came out. Um, sure. But, yeah, no, I can definitely see what you're saying of, like, I I hope it was del a deliberate, like, you know, commentary I, on. I was going to say, it, but, it feels like, it almost feels like, and I, I would have to, I haven't seen the episode, so this is just kind of speculation, but if they are deliberately applying those tropes to a boy then it's more of like a to sh to show that buffy has more depth than yeah. that or like that there's to to sort of show I, by showing the negative making her positives more yeah um like giving her positives more clarity and looking this up so it was written by jane espinson so looking at, like, the other things she wrote and, like, knowing her name from um, writing. Say, that name is really familiar to me. Yeah, she wrote a lot for Battlestar Galactica. Um, mm. And so I, and Torchwood. Um, so I, I would guess she was doing that pretty deliberately. I'm down with that. Yeah. I'm gonna hope it was deliberate. Yeah. In my heart, it's deliberate. <laughs> That's all that matters. Well, yeah. <laughs> so we are living in an age where anytime 
a lady character is on screen and is strong and shows agency, it feels like we get inundated with think pieces about how that character is a Mary Sue. So at some point, being flawless has transmuted into she's strong and I don't like that. Um, what do you guys... Like... I, I sometimes feel like I'm going crazy when I hear people that are normally like rational and intelligent people discussing things like is is Ray from Star Wars, for example, going back to something you said earlier, Marin, is Ray from Star Wars a Mary Sue? And I'm just like, no, words have meaning. Um, but then I wonder if I'm overreacting because it tends to end up being a very misogynistic uh phrase or argument was wondering if you guys had felt the same way about that kind of prevalence now of the term in the cultural conversation well i think the best like analogy is and this is a term that gets used um for women in politics but i i think this falls under the umbrella of the idea of the double bind so which for women in politics specifically means that women are both penalized for acting and sounding tough, but then also acting and sounding compassionate. And the more they do one, the less they do of the other. And it's the catch-22 of women in politics, um, that they cannot both be strong and compassionate enough. Um, because... Well, for a whole host of sociological reasons. Um, but I, I think this is the same idea here. I think that the Mary Sue is a way of enforcing the double bind in pop culture. And that, you know, a female character can be, can't be, like, too badass. But also, if she's not badass enough, then she's weak. And And I think it's... It's that in action. Um, and I, I think, too, the way it most often manifests itself, and I think this is something that we've seen in political reporting for both the 2016 election and currently the 2020 Democratic primary, it, it most often manifests in that we ask that question of women and female characters, and we don't ask it of male, either male politicians or male characters. Like, it's just the asking the question, I think, too, that kind of signals. And, and instead of having the conversation of, was this a well-written character? Did this character's motivations make sense? Did, was the writing, you know, did the writing match the purpose of the story? You know, instead of asking those questions about the craft... We use the Mary Sue umbrella as something that gets targeted to female women. That I, I think the way it comes down reflects that double bind. Yeah, I could I can see that. Um specifically in nerd like I don't want to say nerd culture because you know it there's so many except it is yeah it's okay <laughs> um i'm gonna touch on star wars though because i i am extremely nostalgic about star wars it was the it was like the first the original the uh the ridge tridge the episode <laughs> four five and six og but, star wars if you OG will star original wars. flavor right the um the the originals were like the movie that my parents recorded on a VHS tape when it was Yay. on TV. We would watch. We would watch them at least once a month. Like it is, it's something that everyone in my family just adores. It, it's like the like it would be the Empire Strikes Back is my favorite movie ever. Nothing comes closer to it. It's the movie I watch when I'm sick. I love Star Wars. And so with the most recent ones, when, um, you know, when the main character is Ray, a female character, it was kind of like, yes, love that. Like, I, I love Princess Leia, but, but it's nice that, you know, we have Ray who 
comes from humble beginnings, does not, you know, she isn't, spoilers, she isn't affiliated with the Skywalkers or some, some family where the force is strong with them or whatever. And it is kind of, it's, it's a little disheartening and a little bit annoying for people to say like, is she a Mary Sue? Because by the definition of what a Mary Sue character is, she isn't. In that particular instance, it is very much so a, the, when you were saying earlier, Martha, like words have meaning, it's, it's become kind of a little bit of a catch-all for her. If she was a Mary Sue-esque character in the last, um, and there's, and there's an article that I read about it. So these ideas are not my own. I'm just kind of saying them again. Um, but there's a character, there was, uh, somebody who wrote, a a review or a response or whatever that said, no, if she was a Mary Sue character, she would have been able to stop Kylo Ren, kill Emperor Snoke and save everybody. But that doesn't happen. She's just a strong female character who's a part of the whole everything. So in that in that one, I'm kind of like, yeah, no, she isn't a Mary Sue character. And it gets, it's annoying that that term gets applied just because, oh, here's a female character that's just really, really strong at the force. I got rabbit hole. I have I have feelings about that one. <laughs> no, I loved it. I have feelings, too. I. I am a I am an original Star Wars appreciator, but I admit that I did not love them until the Force like the Force Awakens was the Star Wars movie that I watched and I was finally able to like get it. Like I watched that one and I was like, "Oh, this is why everyone loves Star Wars." So I I feel very protective over Rey because she was the first character that I was like, "Oh, I would die for her." Actually, so, you know, hearing people want to like disparage her or um, like discount everything that she achieves through her character arc, like gets me all up in my feelings. Um, I did not real, I did not truly realize how much the term Mary Sue had just completely lost all meaning until I read an article this this very morning about the fact that there that people are now applying it to Arya Stark. Mm. Oh. And, and I'm like, it. no. <laughs> Wait. I mean, leaving aside, and I don't think you can, but for the sake of argument, leaving aside the, um, the requirement that everybody has to love the self-insert character... I, I don't think it can be it can be said that everyone in Westeros loves Arya Stark. Um, people are just mad that Jon Snow didn't kill the Night King. So, oh, spoiler alert for Game of Thrones. Yeah. Um, At this point, if you cared, you'd have you've seen it. But like, <laughs> literally, it's coming down to oh, the moment that Arya is the one to pull the knight on that guy, people are like, no, unrealistic, Mary Sue. And I'm like, mm. but the she Reddit spent like a hundred... boys are butthurt. Yes, she's... Well, and that's a really good example, I think, of ignoring what is on the page for, like, your hurt feelings. Because she spent a hundred years in ninja assassin school learning how to do that. Like, <laughs> that's not that's not something that she just knew how to do. So reading that, I was like, oh, oh, this this term does not mean anything anymore. And we I think that it is a good time now to strike it from our lexicon, because I, I don't know that it tells us anything useful anymore about a character. I think it reduces the character down to something that, you know, like it's once again, words have meaning. It reduces Arya down to oh, her only purpose was to do this, where it's like, no, Arya had one of the most, like, troubling and, like, I would say a huge, huge amount of character development as the, I, I'm not a Game of Thrones reader, I'm a Game of Thrones watcher, um, but the series that I know, like, a huge amount of growing up, and as you said, she spent uh, so much time in ninja school. She went blind from the mistakes that she had in, lim in ninja school. She's not flawless. She train She has combat training. Like, it's just... It reduces her down to... Oh, that's just what she... That's... 
all that like work and all of that development. Oh, just nothing because oh, Mary Sue. Like no, come on. Like acknowledge the 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 process. Well, I think it's, it's telling. Yeah, I think it's also telling that it's very much the same people who are like, well. You know, the Azarha high prophecy means Jon Snow oh, should have been oh. the one to kill the Night King are the very same people who are like, why was Poe portrayed as so incompetent in The Last Jedi? You know, it's the, again, I will say it. It is the Reddit dudes being butt hurt that, like, ladies are actually getting to do things. Yeah, I think the version, I'm going to write a quick... I'm going to write a quick AU fanfic of the version of Arya Stark that is a Mary Sue. (laughs) Uh, It it involves her not being a character until the moment that she swans out of the darkness to kill the Night King, at which point she then leaves the story to go marry Gendry and be the queen of Storm's End. Where everybody adores her and loves her and she's somehow George R.R. Martin. The end. Yes. Which is... Actually, Michelle, when you said that, it's like, oh, no, Jon Snow is the Mary Sue of Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah. Damn. It's either, either Jon Snow or Tyrion, and both of them are dislikable enough, I think, that neither of them actually count. So as you bring up Tyrion, that makes me think of a really interesting related concept I heard um, called adaptational attractiveness. Um, that I think sometimes gets employed um, and maybe is can be seen as like trying to make a character a Mary Sue. Um, and the author of this, I will tell you, uh, YouTube video I watched um, from a channel called, let me see, what was it called? Trope Academy. But it was very thought-provoking. Um, yes, I know, I spend, you know, time watching about tv tropes on youtube i am so cool um (laughs) um but i i think it's this idea that like Tyrion and this and i will full disclosure admit i've never read the game of thrones books but this author had a pretty compelling case that the tv show game of thrones like smoothed over a lot of Tyrion's both personality flaws but even just like physical appearance um in order to make him a more sympathetic character um and and i think that that um is something that is is the actual flattening of characters um as opposed to like just calling someone a mary sue you know like Hmm. I think there's like an actual process whereby this happens um, and when it happens to a female character the Riot Boys get butt hurt. I'm going to try and say that as many times as I can in this episode. (laughs) By the way, I'm just telling you now. We'll make it the title of the episode. (laughs) Thank you. Um, And that's an interesting thing to think about because I I keep going back to this thing like, like like this war cry of she has no flaws and it it makes me wonder like the use like character flaws exist in characters to make them relatable like to make to make a character somebody that we can um sympathize with and like go on their journey with and it's really hard to do that if you can't see yourself or anything identifiable in a character which typically if a character is perfect makes that a lot harder and it makes me wonder if some of this reactionary rhetoric against these characters it's not that Ray doesn't have any flaws it's not that Arya doesn't have any flaws but her character traits and flaws are things that maybe the like you identify with more strongly if you are a female viewer because like I look at Ray and I see oh she is prickly and kind of hostile in the beginning and she's really bullheaded and stubborn but if you're not like if you have already decided that she's not a character you can identify with then maybe you just don't see those things 
So then she comes off as being without flaw. Yeah. Which as I'm as I'm saying this sounds like I might be trying to make excuses for these dickwads and I am not. Um, if anything, I'm trying to build a case for why we should have more of these characters because I get to identify with people too. Okay. Um, but that that's just that, that just kind of occurred to me as we were talking about Tyrion because Tyrion is actually somebody that I look at and I'm like, well, he might be the closest to being a Mary Sue just in terms of he has the thickest plot armor on that show. And even though he's always like getting captured and has a lot of really bad things happen to him at the end of the day, everyone except his sister pretty much loves him. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. One thing that as we've been talking about kind of popped into my head. So we, um, it seems like when you go back to fan fiction, Mary Sue-esque characters or the term of like kind of writing yourself into the story. I kind of started thinking like, is that because at the time when that fan, when that particular fan fiction was being written, that there wasn't representation for that person. So they wrote themselves into the, into the story. And does that kind of like, at what point do we want to have a character that kind of is not to coin the Game of Thrones voice, but is kind of like a like a faceless person, somebody that <laughs> the reader can see as themselves in the character, not necessarily as somebody to kind of like root for, but somebody that they can be like, you know, this this character, this is me, this is my representation, or this is this I can see facets of myself, and now I'm engaged in that. Like, at what point does that do you want to have kind of a not even maybe an author insert or a you know a foil for the audience and at what point did they become a um you know too much of a blank slate well and i think that's the trick is you frequently it helps to have a character who sort of acts as the audience surrogate um just as a way of like acknowledging there's a lot of crazy stuff happening, but here is the like anchor character for the audience. So it's like, as long as I'm on board with, and of course now I can't think of any off the top of my head. Um, like Sam the, Tarly. I would say Sam Tarly in some ways is the audience insert character. Like, thank you. Thank you for validating me because that was my first instinct also. But then I was kind of like, is he, but I think he, he is. is. Yeah, like, he totally is. <laughs> The character who's there to, like, help the audience understand what's going on and kind of be the, like, view piece for them. And I think that when that character... I I think... And I think in Force Awakens, that character is Finn. Hmm. Maybe. See that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, More so than Rey, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, she's she's too much of the hero character, I think, to be mm-hmm. that. Um, but yeah, and then I think it's important to to have that character represent a have that character not always be a straight white guy. So like, yeah, I I really do love Sam, and I absolutely think he serves that role. But I would have maybe appreciated having a a lady be in that in that role mm-hmm. for me. <laughs> Well, and I think, too, it says something that people calling women who get to carry the weight of, I mean, like you said, like the weight of heroism, like getting to be the hero, they're they're starting to call that Mary Sue. Because I think in terms of the audience in, insert character, I think they expect characters that are carrying the emotional weight and labor of the story. Like, they expect characters like, and this is a very small and specific example, but, like, in the second-to-last episode of Game of Thrones, you follow that mother and her daughter around King's Landing, and Mm -hmm. you, you know, we hardly hear her talk, but we just see her face and we see her distress. Um, And I think 
and this is, I would say, in a reflection of how we expect women to carry the emotional labor of our society, um, but I think oftentimes we expect women to, to carry the emotional side of the story. And so seeing a character like Ray, who is more concerned about the goal and more concerned about leading than concerned about processing the emotions of what has happened, I I think is part of what makes the Reddit boy so butthurt. Yeah, I think the note that I would like to to leave us on for this discussion is a simple contemplation of the fact that recently I have seen people be mad and call Captain Marvel a villain because she beat a man up who verbally abused her and then stole his motorcycle. Ugh. So clearly, clearly that makes her... A villain. A bad guy. <laughs> they will they will jump through any hoops. Just any. To... It's really that it's is really the Reddit boys are that one is the Reddit boys or the whomever boys are butthurt. Come on. Oh, oh. <laughs> Gosh. oh thank God I didn't read that. I probably would have like something at my computer screen <laughs> well and it's not quite it's a little off topic but i do think that it is related i'm going to leave you all with that moment of rage inducing zen rage. Uh, <laughs> i'm gonna go watch Thank dead to both. me now and <laughs> act out some rage uh thank you both so much for joining us today uh Thank you Mara for having Michelle, us. If you, if you would like people to be able to find you on the internet, where can they do so? Um, I'm on the Twitters at a underscore star underscore danced, um, where I tweet frequently about romance novels, politics, and cartography. So if any of those are appealing to you, come find me. I didn't know you'd gotten into maps. <laughs> Um, I am not on the Twitters because it's a toxic war zone. <laughs> yeah, because I have enough stress in my life, <laughs> and I can't have it on my as much on my internet. But I am on the Instagram, and I only post things about my dog because my dog is wonderful. Um, you can find me on M M Patton, P A T T E N zero seven. If you want to see pictures of my 90 pound poodle, because he's perfect. Bowser! He is the Godzilla of dogs. <laughs> oh my gosh, he is! Yes! <laughs> uh, the fluffiest Godzilla. Me... <laughs> Sorry. You can follow me on all the places at Magical Martha. Uh, you can subscribe to my newsletter at tinyletter.com backslash Magical Martha, where I frequently or where I recently posted a 1000 word uh, spoiler filled essay about all of the feelings about Game of Thrones that I couldn't get out on the episode that Pete and I recently did about it. <laughs> uh, so if that is of interest to you, you can check that out. You can follow the show at DYDYH podcast on both Twitter and Instagram. You can find us on Facebook where you can leave us a comment, question, concern, uh, discussion, or ideas for future episode topics, requests to be a guest. You know, we're, we're open to open to suggestions. Uh, Marin and I have also recently launched a brand new podcast where we get down and dirty with all of the teen rom-coms that are streaming uh, on Netflix and beyond. We just launched our pilot episode last week that is all about the Noah Centineo vehicle, The Perfect Date. If teenagers and romantic comedies and high school shenanigans are at all of interest to you, I highly recommend checking that out. It's super fun. Um, we will be back in two weeks to talk about 
something to be determined. Uh, Pete will be back in his hosting chair. Um, otherwise, I would like him to thank him for editing and producing the multitude of side projects that he has not actually appeared on recently. <laughs> he did say we can just say something like, and here's Pete talking about the next episode or something like that. Yes, and here's Pete ready to talk about the next episode. Uh, so the next episode is going to be about modern retellings of myths. We're focusing just on Greek myths here to keep it real nice and easy. Uh, and we've got a really good slew of homeworks set up. Uh, returning guest Austin Morgach is assigning Circe by Madeline Miller, which I gotta say I am really excited about. That's sort of a modern retelling of the story of uh, Circe, the witch in Greek mythology. Uh, I'm following that Odyssey-themed assignment with the classic Coen Brothers movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou?, because it is legally required in uh, works of pop culture when we're talking about modern retellings of myths to include Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Martha is assigning a webcomic called Lore Olympus, which is a retelling of the Persephone myth, which is awesome. Uh, and finally, before I go, I'm just going to plug that the uh, podcast that Martha and Marin have started is called Love Ya. Uh, parody, what, yeah, like yeah, you, but then also yeah, like YA. It, fairly clever pun. Uh, so yeah, go ahead and check that out. And now back to Martha to close out the episode. Thank you all for joining us. We will see you next week. And until then, enjoy doing your homework. <laughs>